Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelions.com, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Kelly Ford. Kelly, the days of college football are waning. How are you feeling about it? How are you feeling about this week? I can't feel anything other than great, Brett. It is rivalry week. It's my favorite week of the entire college football season. Yes, I know what comes after that. It means the regular season is over. But, dude, it's the it's the pinnacle. It's the climax. It's the apex. It's whatever you want to say for this is the week that means everything. If it was up to me, we'd play this week every single week. We wouldn't. We'd it'd lose its luster. But <laughs> this is the week that we get up for. This is the week that we love college football for. It's games like these. Dude, my two favorite things in college football, in order, are upsets and rivalries. We are guaranteed to get rivalries this week. We have a whole week full of it. Can we get some upsets too? I will be very, very happy if we do. Even if we don't, Brett, it's, you, can't, you can't beat this week. You just can't. I'm so excited. We have so many good games to talk about. This is just the weeknight show episode. We're going to do the Saturday one later still. Dude, I've talked enough. Let's get into it. I cannot wait. Yes, before we get into it, I want to preface really quick. We're going to talk about... I'm going to talk about at least situational football. And I know already, I'm going to get people saying, yeah, but it's a rivalry. They're, yes, I know. I, I love it. I'm, when I talk about situational stuff, I'm isolating. We'll, we'll get into that. I just know we're going to get comments. But also, before we dive into it all, don't forget to follow at the Lines US on Twitter. You can find me at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here for the remainder of the postseason, breaking down the college football slate, bowl game slate, conference championship uh, ship slate, as well as Thursday and Friday's games. And that's what we are here to do today. Like you said, it's rivalry week, the best weekend of the college football year, big time slate, conference title races are still open, bowl eligibility is on the line. Let's get after it. Starting with Ole Miss, a 10-point road favorite at arch rival Mississippi State. This game carries an over-under of 55.5 points, and it kicks off Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. We know this one as the Egg Bowl, one of college football's best rivalries. I love that it takes its own exclusive time slot on Thanksgiving. Um, it's the only game that day, uh, at least in college. Um, I, I love that it gets its own time to shine. Last year, Mississippi State upset Ole Miss in Oxford. Uh, it's a nasty rivalry. You can bet that the Rebels had this one extra circled this year. Not just, hey, this is, this is state. It's hate state week or whatever they're saying down there in Oxford. They remember getting bit at home last year, you can bet. Interestingly, six outright upsets in the last 10 years. So I think that's what makes this really exciting. The Egg Bowl is always weird, Kelly. It never goes the way that you expect. So let's try to articulate what we expect from this game uh, and then uh, those of you listening out here, maybe you can go with the opposite or whatever. The Mississippi State, they dismissed head coach Zach Arnett, uh, but they did cover last week against Southern Miss. They did show a little bit of get up and go. You know those teams sometimes get that interim coach bump. I don't know that it lasts this long, though. I, I personally think we could be talking about blowout territory uh, for Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin, not afraid to run up the score when he can. Last year's result giving some extra juice, meaning Ole Miss might put their foot down if they are able to run that score up, especially on the road in Starkville. I'm not a big trends guy, but if you're looking at some of the late ones, the under has hit in the last six games, and the road team is actually covered in the last eight. So a lot of success for road teams, not too much scoring between these two teams that know each other very well. For Mississippi State, quarterback Will Rogers, running back Woody Marks, they did return last week for the Bulldogs, and they'd each missed a few games with injury. 
March started the year strong, but Mississippi State's been really, really inefficient running the ball since. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a one-and-done for offensive coordinator uh, Kevin Barbe. I-, I never really understood that hire in the first place. I know that it was a very difficult situation. You know, A lot of stuff was going on in Starkville. But they went completely away from what their identity was, and surprisingly, it didn't work. Uh, and I say surprisingly facetiously just because he had a good thing going. I-, I-, I don't quite understand why they didn't try to at least keep some of the same tendencies in there. They went completely away from it. It just has not worked out for them this year. Ole Miss is really, really their only deficiency in this game is run defense. But again, Mississippi State's offense, especially on the in, on the ground game, is just so inefficient. I'm not really all that concerned about it. And Jackson Dart's playing really well against everybody not named Georgia at the moment. Kelly, what do your numbers say about our big uh, first big-time rivalry on this slate? I'm going to say this a lot this week, Brett. I love this game. Uh, Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. It's, you know, you get football, you get family, you get food, all that stuff. The ex- and we always see the same, you know, side of the family on Thanksgiving, kind of mix it up, Thanksgiving, Christmas. But my extended family that I see on Thanksgiving always wants to talk NFL. And I get it. The NFL is king. I know. It always, it, it always has been. It always will be. I completely understand. And I indulge them. I talk NFL with whatever's going on. But in my heart of hearts, I'd much rather be going all in on the Egg Bowl. It's fun. This is a heated rivalry game. You, you said it. I mean, the last couple of years of this, you just look at it. It's the personalities in this game. It's the celebrations. It's the implications of what it means. Every single year, I love this game. The model has it Ole Miss minus 12 and a half. Um, it's an 81% win expectancy. I want to talk about Ole Miss's resume really quickly. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night. The committee just released their rankings. I think the committee has them number 12, if I'm not mistaken. This is a team that has two losses. Two top five power-rated teams, Georgia and Alabama, both on the road. First, like let's just talk about that schedule for a second. What did folks in Oxford do to someone at the SEC conference office? Like that is that's brutal to have those both on the road in the same year. But the average top twenty-five team, forget that. Most teams in the entire country, I don't care average top twenty-five or not, most teams are going to be expected to lose at Georgia and at Alabama. So why is Ole Miss? being treated like just any other two loss team by the committee. Like they're, they're not any other two loss team. These two losses are two two really, really good teams on the road. I have the rebels number nine in my most deserving rankings. So it's nine, 12. Oh, Kelly, what's the difference? Why does it matter? Okay. I, I agree with you. Maybe it is semantics. I just like to see teams get their due credit when it comes to these rankings one through 25 and maybe number nine versus number 12 doesn't matter this year, but next year, Nine versus 12 might matter quite a bit. And if we're trying to understand how the committee ranks teams and why they rank them the way they do, I'm much more worried about process, not outcome. And the process, to me, needs some refining. So I'm hoping at some point the committee starts giving the Rebels the respect they deserve. They probably won't because they're not going to change their process this year. But this is a team that I want to point back to probably next season and say, hey, as we get closer to CFP ranking time, a team with a profile of Ole Miss – they need to be given more consideration than just any two-loss team because that, that's not what they are. But that's enough of that. Predictive metrics, looking at this game, Ole Miss does have a decided advantage on both sides of the ball. They have the number 15 offense. That's the best unit in this game. The Mississippi State offense, they're the worst unit in the game. They are currently ranking a season-worst number 80, Brett, even though this game is in Starkville. And this is a huge rivalry. And you talked about it at the top, you know, situational thing. Like The model's not accounting for situations the model's not accounting for rivalries for emotions for all that stuff 
the model does suggest laying the points here with Ole Miss. Bottom line, I have Ole Miss minus 12.5. It's a 19% chance that Mississippi State makes it two wins in a row in the Egg Bowl, which you know fans in Starkville uh, would be excited about. Yeah, and this is the tricky thing about talking about these rivalry games is you hear the the typical throw the records out, and yeah, that I mean that is true that 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 you have to take that into account. So it's a little uneasy talking about a road favorite, especially a double digit road favorite in a rivalry like that. But yeah, I I have to agree with your model. It's it's the rebels with the points for me. I may even try to look for alternate lines here, just because I really do think that even against a big time rival. You know, your your desire to beat your rival only goes as far as your talent is able. And I don't think that Mississippi State is all that good of a team. Uh, I, I don't think they have a lot to play for uh, left on the board here. I, I know they're playing for eligibility, but, like, you know, do they really care about the Music City Bowls? Is that what they're really fighting for? Or is it just, you know, we, we just want to beat Ole Miss here? Um, if you look at their points scored, just to highlight your 80th ranked offense in the country, uh, points scored against Power 5 competition. 10, 3, 13, and 7 since the bye week. Ole Miss's defense isn't stout, but I do believe it is good enough to keep them under 21 points. Uh, and, and in this case, I, I think Ole Miss would be able to move the ball at will. Uh, they have de- deci- decided advantages, as you said, on both sides of the football. Um, so this is Ole Miss with the points for me. How's that Mississippi State win at home against Arizona in week two looking now, huh? Like at the time you were like, oh, okay, sure. Arizona's a pretty darn good team now. Mississippi State does have that win on their resume. The problem is they don't have uh, too many others to go with it, as you you mentioned. So just an interesting (laughs) – I was looking at their schedule as you were running those off because, yeah, the offense has been um, struggling. Bad. Really bad. Moving forward to the vaunted Big Ten West, (laughs) this is a notable game. For historically notable, we have Iowa on the road at Nebraska. The Huskers are two-point home favorites. You can find two and a half. You can find one and a half at time of recording. But the reason that this is historically notable is because it has an over-under of 26 and a half points. Open at 27 and a half, and that was still too high. It was bet down to 26 earlier here Tuesday. But this game kicks off on Friday at noon Eastern on CBS. Welcome to the Big Ten CBS. I know we've had a couple games before this, but this is your warning. I was going to say introduction, but this is your warning to what you are going to be getting on America's Most Watched Network moving forward. And actually, I didn't know that these two teams played for a trophy, but they do. It's the Heroes Game trophy uh, that they are playing for here. It's going to be cold and windy in Lincoln. Surprise, surprise, we are in late November in the upper Midwest. Highs in the upper 20s, sustained winds between 12 and 15 miles an hour with higher gusts. It's going to be gross uh, or, or welcoming uh, to Big Ten West. One of those games where you'll really appreciate watching it on TV and not being perhaps in the stands if, uh, if you're not acclimated to the cold. This is where I want to talk about situational spots. Big, big time situational. So Iowa has already locked up the Big Ten West. They are going to Indianapolis. That is set in stone. Who they're playing? We'll get to that on our Saturday show. But um, then they go on the road to play a Husker team that, A, needs to win to become bowl eligible, and, B, just suffered a brutal overtime loss to Wisconsin on the road to secure that bowl eligibility. Nebraska has everything to play for right now in Matt Rule's first year. Iowa, pride? Like, it'd be great. They'd be 10-2 and with a win, which is awesome. Nine and three, you've already got your conference championship thing up there. You don't want to go out there getting your stars hurt. 
Now, if you missed the opening number with the Huskers, you weren't too quick on that. I'd be looking for fair, fair value on the money line. Uh, this is Nebraska all the way for me, especially uh, on situational. If you look just on paper, it appears Iowa's the superior team. And, and they are. That, let's, be, let's be cut and dry about that. Iowa's the better football team here. But this is just such a situa- situational play. Nebraska's at home. That's why I side with the Huskers in this one. I love the situational plays, and this is one of the better ones, I think, that we've seen all year. Now, Nebraska's quarterback, Heinrich Harvig, he did not play last week. Chuba Purdy, though, played decent on the road to Madison, had a much better first half than second half. I'm not sure I would go back to, to Harvig myself, I, but you know we'll, we'll see who ends up going in this game if both are healthy. Now, big-time injury for Iowa. It's a it's a, a week old now, but just worth saying, Cooper DeGene, sadly, he's done for the season. Uh, that was an injury suffered at practice. I, I hate seeing practice injuries. I hate seeing injuries in general, but, but the fact that it happened in practice is just all, all that much worse. But, okay, look, 26, I think that's finally the level at which I'm not just auto-clicking under for these games, even though the last five lowest totals ever all have gone under. It's just... It's a little nerve-wracking when you look at a 16-13 final or a 17-10 final and realize, oh, that's over the point total listed. I don't know if I can just auto-bet under, even if this game goes under, great, good for you. I saw, um, I, I think Brian Fermo was the one that had the negative 4.9 projected points. Like, it broke his model, a tried-and-true model. Just absolutely broke it with these two offenses, which was just outstanding. Um, yeah, but I, I, I missed the best number anyway on that. It, it, at this point, open 27 and a half, bet down from there. 28 is probably that limit to where I'm like, I don't know if I'm betting unders at that point. Again, 14-14, that's, that's 28 points right there. Nebraska's propensity to turn the football over. They have, I think they're minus 13, or they're 13. They've turned the ball over 13 times in the last few games. And Iowa's propensity to force turnovers can also lead to more points, not necessarily just on the offensive side of the football. I love FEI. Brian from O is awesome. What his work is awesome. And it's also so funny when he gets, when he has quirks like that, and he's like, Oh, well, here we go. This is what it says. Obviously this is not happening, but it's just, I, Brian's great. Um, and yeah, I saw that too. Another thing that Iowa may be playing for here, Brett, outside of just pride and, you know, 10 win season. Remember last year, Nebraska did knock off Iowa. All Iowa had to do was win this game at home. And they were going to go to Indianapolis for the second straight year. Nebraska knocked him off, opened the door. Purdue ended up getting in, going to Indianapolis. That was the same result. Michigan wiped the floor with Purdue like they did with Iowa the year before. But we'll see. You also teased that game, the Ohio State-Michigan game, and now you're like, all right, but first, let's talk about Iowa-Nebraska. Like, oh, dude, come on. That's just playing with me. But, no, this is a great game, too. I'm excited about it. Here, these two teams, they're honestly pretty similar. And you touched on some of this. They have outstanding defenses with, call it what it is, Horrific offenses. Um, I'm actually on the other side of Vegas here. My numbers have Iowa minus three, 59% win expectancy. Because, again, my model, Brett, it's looking at the on paper. It's looking at what are these teams' stats, predictive analytics, predictive metrics. What do they look like for these two teams in normal circumstances? And what you're saying, and I agree with you, is these aren't normal circumstances for either of these teams, really, with so much to play for for Nebraska. And, yes, Iowa, again, you've got things to play for. But Nebraska's like, let's go bowling. And so they, they need this one. The Big Ten West champs, Iowa, let that sink in. We will never, well, I guess you never say never. But for as far as we know, we will never say it again with the Big Ten doing away with division starting next year. So because of that, Brett, like, let's think. When's the next time that we think Iowa makes the Big Ten championship game? Five years? Ten years? 15 years? I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know, Brett, just because, like, 
just because it is going to depend on how the schedule shakes out every single year. It's going to look a little bit different as you've got 18 conference teams in the big 10 starting next year, but there are no divisions just given the strength of the teams that were previously in the East. Now you've got the strength of the teams coming in from the pac 12 Iowa all of a sudden finds themselves from perennial favorite or co-favorite in the West to what, you know, you're picking them fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh every year in the big 10. I mean, Teams come out of that group all the time and go to conference championship games. You see it in the Big 12 almost every year, it feels like. The Big Ten's going to have that, too, and Iowa can be that team. But they're not going to be able to get away with this offensive ineptitude in the new-look Big Ten that they've been able to get away with in the Big Ten West. Like, that's just—it's plain and simple, and I think Iowa fans would even agree with that. So, enjoy it, Iowa fans. Don't let anyone take it away from you. Go make the best of it here this weekend and also in Indianapolis. Give them everything you have, regardless of who you're playing. This Hawkeye defense has been top three all year. They check in number three for me this week. The Husker defense, they're ranked a season-best number nine. They started the year around number 50. It's been a terrific year, uh, terrific first year on that side of the ball for this Matt Rule group. Um, the offenses, though, I said they're horrific. Like, Brett, here are their unit ranks by my numbers. Iowa, number 122. It's 133 teams. That high? Yeah, that high. Wow. Right? Okay, so so like maybe they're trending upward. I don't know. Uh, And then the Nebraska offense, number 118. Like, man, come on, guys. That's not good enough. It's just just not. I say it about USC's defense. I say it about these offenses. It's not good enough. We, We need to be better on this side of the ball for these two programs. That should be better, just period. Under 26 is scary. But it absolutely makes sense why this line is set there. I didn't know it opened at 27.5 till you said it. So, yeah, as, as, if I'm betting it, which I'm not, as people know by now, uh, but if I'm betting it, yeah, I don't, I don't love that. Again, I get why it's there, though, when you look at the strength of these defenses and the, the, the offensive struggles. I, I hear you on the situational play. I don't disagree with it. Like I said, the model does not explicitly consider those types of factors. Bottom line, I've got Iowa minus three. It's a 41% chance that Iowa wins back-to-back games against the Hawkeyes, Brett, since 2011, 2012. It's been a long time. Wow. I, you know, I actually did forget that uh, Nebraska knocked off Iowa last year to, to take them out of the championship. It, mm-hmm. it, it was so fun. It was such a uh, – everybody fumbled the bag. Every single team fumbled the bag. <laughs> in the and Big so happy. They, they were playing hot potato with it, and it lands in Purdue's lap, and they're like, well, okay, I guess – uh, it was, it was so was funny. A, it was the, such a fun finish to the year. The 2022 Big Ten West race, like it, it, it's a Shakespeare, it's a Shakespeare play. It's got the comedy, it's got the tragedy. Um, it had it all. It was <laughs> it was great. And uh, I make fun of the Big Ten West. Everyone does. Um, and it's not because I don't like those programs. There, there's some good programs with, with rich histories. It's it hasn't been the Big Ten East from a power rating standpoint, so it's easy to to poke fun at it. I will miss it um, from the sense of what it gives us. But I do think going away from divisions is the right thing for the Big Ten, obviously, in this expanded format. It's probably the right thing even without the expansion of, of teams, but certainly the right thing as they move forward. Yeah, and, and we do I, – I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I think we should do away with divisions. It's, it's the right way to go. But uh, the, the absolute theater that we got from the Big Ten West and the ACC Coastal are just like – those will just be <laughs> – Etched in the history of college football forever and ever. Seven different winners. Seven unique winners in seven years in the ACC Coastal from, what, 2013 to 19 or something like that, I think it was. Just fantastic. Yep. Yep. Moving from a low-scoring Big Ten West to a much higher-scoring Big 12, we have TCU on the road at Oklahoma. The Sooners are 10-point home favorites at time of recording, and this carries an over-under of 63.5 points. It kicks off Friday at noon Eastern on Fox. This opened Oklahoma minus 12.5, but TCU actually took quite a bit of money here. It got to as low as minus 9.5 before Oklahoma uh, took some movement back. It's an interesting setup here on both sides. 
TCU is one win away from bowl eligibility, but it's also a must win if Oklahoma wants to make Arlington in the Big 12 championship game. Now, I'm not even going to get into the Big 12 tiebreakers. They said there's like 120. There, there's as many tiebreakers as there are FBS teams from like 2018. So it's ridiculous. Like 128 of them, I think, that they said there were 125 or whatever. Uh, but for OU, it's quite simple. You, you beat TCU and you hope Oklahoma State loses to BYU and you're it. Um, is that likely? Eh, I don't think so. But either way, uh, quarterback Dylan Gabriel, big, big, big news here. You need to keep an eye on this. He's hopeful to play this week. I, uh, I don't know if the market's all that convinced he is because TCU's taking a ton of money here. There's a huge swing in expectations if he does not play. The backup five-star Jackson Arnold. He only played in cleanup duty so far this year and blowouts. He's a very talented kid. 10th overall recruit in the 2023 class. The fourth-ranked quarterback. I mean, he was up there with Dante Moore. So the reason we haven't heard about him is because Oklahoma already had Dylan Gabriel in place to be their starting quarterback. Uh, Jackson Arnold quite talented himself. Uh, There's another uh, injury receiver, Jaleel Farouk. Uh, who I think is their best athlete. He's not their biggest producer out wide, but I do think he's one of their better playmakers. He's also optimistic to play. If both of them play, uh, this is a much different game. I'm going to assume that they are, based on the reports and rumors I've seen on Twitter. Uh, Although, again, early market movement suggests maybe not. However, this isn't a game that TCU typically plays well in. They did kick an Oklahoma team last year that was down, where at the time... They were quote-unquote ranked 18th. You know, we, we ended up knowing what they were in, in hindsight. But that was kind of TCU's announcement to the college football world in 2022. Hey, we're a good team. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it's like, holy cow, because they beat them 55-22. Looking back on it, it's like, of course they beat them 55-22. We, we know what that Oklahoma team was. But TCU has not won in Norman since 2005. And to be honest, the games really typically aren't all that close. This is a, this is a one-sided uh, affair here in favor of Oklahoma. Um to be honest, I, I think TCU is a bit overrated. Uh, the way that I do my power rate, ratings is I take aggregates. Kelly, yours are involved. SP plus, FEI, like all these different ones that I that I aggregate together. And then after that, I'll go in and manually adjust for injuries, for expectations. And Kelly, TCU is a team I actually went in and manually derated. I don't think that they are as good as their power rating says. I don't trust their quarterback against halfway decent competition. They did take care of business against Baylor. Uh, even though that's a rivalry, Baylor's in full quit mode. Let, let's let's say it how it is. They thrashed a team that put half an effort out on a football field. Uh, Oklahoma actually was outgained by BYU. They needed a fourth quarter score to win. It's a little bit concerning to me. Um, they did allow Aiden Robbins, who's been extremely inefficient on the ground. I mean, the whole BYU offense has been terrible on the ground. And he rushed for 182 yards, so... Maybe a little bit of fraudulent with this Oklahoma team, specifically on defense, where they're able to kind of set the tone early, and they've clearly regressed since the beginning of the year. But my problem is with quarterback Josh Hoover. He's throwing the ball way too damn much. I've said this at the start. I, I've been talking about this the whole time. They're they're giving the football too much. He's a talented-ish kid, but he's not lighting the world on fire, and TCU's not better for it, uh, especially on their offense. I, I don't trust their offensive staff to call a competent game whatsoever. They're atrocious in the red zone. And uh, they're really bad in short yardage. So, so long as Dylan Gabriel is good to go, this, this is Oklahoma with the points for me. What say you? Be honest, Brett. You got a couple burner accounts out there on X on Twitter? <laughs> I so, do cause, not. Cause I, some, sh- I should consider. Somebody, you said you manually downgrade TCU. Some buddies, I should say. There's a few of them that have like three or four followers or follow three or four accounts. 
uh, every, almost every week, and are like, why is TCU still in your top 30 of your power ratings? It's like, <laughs> it's like, why are we talking about TCU right now? Like, why is that the one that I feel like every week one or two accounts uh, spouts off about? So anyway, I, I get what you're saying. Other people feel the same way, um, even though it's you with the burners, I know. I agree with you here, <laughs> Brett. Um, the model, I've got Oklahoma minus 14 and a half. It's an 85% win expectancy. By my numbers, Oklahoma's actually the best team in the Big 12, like from a power rating standpoint. But the Sooners only have a 23% chance to make it to Arlington due to those tiebreakers you talked about. In their case, it's namely the head-to-head loss in Bedlam that could potentially hold them back here in a lot of these scenarios. Uh, a, a quick aside with all these tiebreakers, I am seriously I – be- I, I think I'm going to do this um, – I work in a conference office. I think people that for college athletics, I think people that have listened to the show know that by now. I think I'm going to send a couple emails off to my colleagues that work in other conference offices that do sponsor football because I have some ideas about tiebreakers that not for like right now. Obviously, they're in the midst of it. I, I know when things happen and, and when changes can be made, but like I have some ideas that I think are mathematically sound and could create um, a little bit less confusion and outrage. Now, People are always going to be upset if their team ends up on the wrong side of a tiebreaker. Like, I get that. But I just, I think I'm going to send some emails here in January or February to some folks and see what they say. And they might not respond. They might say, Kelly, thanks, but get out of here with that. I don't know, man. I just, I think we can do better on the tiebreaker front. And this isn't a, a shot at the Big 12. This is, there's other conferences too. Um, we're going to talk about some of those as well later. I just think we can do better in tiebreakers. And it's a very important thing that we need to be getting right. And I'm not sure that our current approach gets it right. So anyway, back to this game. Oklahoma's offense has been top 10 all season. It's currently ranked number 7. The defense is also top 20. Uh, that gives the Sooners on both the edge on both sides of the ball. Plus this game is in Norman, um, as, as we talked about here earlier. So TCU, Brett... <laughs> They were a positive outlier in 2022. What I mean by that is they were my number one overachieving team. They they overachieved realistic expectations, preseason realistic expectations, by an absurd amount. I mean, it was like five or almost six games that they won more in the regular season than I projected. It was it was unbelievable. A great year for Sonny Dykes. Um, just a fantastic story. This year, the pendulum has swung all the way to the other side. The, the Horned Frogs, I mean, they're almost a negative outlier this year. Uh, they are now a top 10 underachiever with regard to win regular se- or, uh, regular season, preseason, win-loss uh, expectations. So my numbers assigned in the preseason a 95% chance for TCU to go bowling. That number now, um, all the way down to what is their chance to win this game, it's 15%. They need to pull off an upset on the road just to reach six wins. It really is crazy for a program that played in a national championship game not even 11 months ago at this point. So um, there's a lot to think about here, a lot to consider for TCU. Was last year just a lightning in the bottle? Is this year the, the the regression way past the mean? We'll find out a bit more about this program in 2024. Um, but it was definitely definitely an interesting swing last year to this. Bottom line, Oklahoma minus 14.5. It's a 15% chance, as I said, that TCU makes it back-to-back wins against the Sooners, Brett, for the first time ever in this series. This will be the 24th time they've played. They've never won two in a row. If only they would have beaten Colorado in week one. I, dude, it, it's like, yeah. And you think about if they would have played that game later in the year. Does oh, TCU, it, does TCU yeah. win it? I mean, yes. it's just, it, it, that's, it's, see, it's so, it's so interesting. But that right there, what, what we just said is why, for my most deserving rankings, I think it's, it's a valuable approach. It's a merit-based approach to say you're going to get credit for your opponent's power rating at the time of the game or currently 
whichever one's greater. Some people didn't like uh, when they found out that that's how I approached this. I took some heat on it or about it for, on Twitter, and I said, guys, listen, there, there's all sorts of examples. This is a good one where teams get better, teams get worse. But when you say that, you're implying, whether you mean to or not, that at one point they were either better or worse than they are at this point. You shouldn't devalue the meaning of a win for a team early in the year because for all we know, a team season got derailed because I beat them. Like if we didn't play early and I didn't beat them, they'd be having a better year. Like we don't know how that plays out. That's why I do what I do with the most deserving. At the end of the day, it doesn't change things too much, but I do think it's in the best interest of accuracy to to capture what the true meaning of a of a resume is. So anyway, that's another aside. I'm we got way too many big games to talk about, and I keep going on a tangent, so I'm sorry. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep it moving. <laughs> All right, let's keep it moving to one of my most excited games this, this whole uh, season, really, but th- this weekend. It's terrific matchup. We have UTSA on the road at Tulane. The Green Wave are three-and-a-half-point home favors now, and this game carries an over-under of 52 points. It kicks off Friday at 3.30 Eastern on ABC. Thank God we are getting some sensible broadcasting windows here. We're putting a big-time game on a big-time network. Uh, this is a win-and-in for the AAC championship game, either of these teams. They could have a, uh, a rematch here, but it does take some outside help here. This would be the first time in school history that Tulane would be playing in back-to-back conference titles. Mind you, they were a member of the SEC way back when, like in the 1920s and 30s. Now, if SMU, who is a 20-point favorite, loses to Navy, not unheard of, even at this number, especially with Navy, we know some weird games happen there, then the loser of this game might still get in, depending on rankings, tiebreakers, and it's messy, there's no head-to-heads. I'm just interested in this game, because this is a de facto AAC playoff game. That's what we're getting here in Week 13. Uh, Tulane, great job. You finally won a game by more than one score. There was a minute there where I'm just like, what are we? I saw a, uh, a meme where it's like, how are you not dead yet? It's like, I have no idea. It's the Sonic the Hedgehog meme or something. It's talking about Tulane. Uh, pr- pretty funny. Either way, um, early week action has been all over the green wave. It looks like three is the resi- It was the resistance point. As we know, as the week goes on, limits get increased. So the movement that you see from this point on is a little bit more important than what you saw on Monday. Um, but yeah, they were able to cross through that three threshold to three and a half. I think I saw four even flashier. If you're leaning UTSA, then now is your time to jump. Uh, you know, you, you get the hook, you get that big bump in in your expected win rate, the four. Uh, but if you lean to lane, I'm not sure we're going to see two and a half again. So you want to be patient and grab the three, which is probably going to be your best number up until kickoff. Uh, one thing I don't love about UTSA, and I might get a little bit of blowback about this, I don't love the noise around Jeff Trailer. Sounds like he did interview with AM. His responses are very much, don't ask me about it, rather than, no, I did not take that interview. I'm committed to UTSA. I'm not leaving. I know he signed a, a hundred million year contract worth uh, every penny that UTSA probably has in their athletic department. And for good reason. He's an awesome coach, outstanding coach. But those responses that he had that I saw from his pressers are very much a, yes, I interviewed for AM. But yes, I am still focused on the task at hand here because I'm a good coach and I can keep this. But man, there's there's a lot of noise around this program right now. I don't love that. Two great coaching staffs, two very experienced and very talented quarterbacks, but there's less noise around Tulane, and I trust them to win this football game. Now, where I lean on the betting board isn't with the points. I actually like over 52 in this number here. It's on a fairly key number. We have two high-octane passing offenses, even if the pace isn't quite there for both of the teams. But Tulane plays up 
to their competition, and they played down to their competition. They hung with Ole Miss, arguably could have won the game or had an opportunity to win the game, even without Michael Pratt. And then they also beat East Carolina 13-10 and Tulsa 24-22. Like we said, how are you still alive? I have no idea. But I don't want to lay the number here at Tulane. That's for darn sure. I don't see fair value in the money line as it stands today. And again, Tulane has a tendency to do just enough to win these games. So I like them to win the game if you're doing a, a pick them or, or what have you there. But I think my favorite play here is that over 52. Winning in, Brett, doesn't get any bigger than that in any sport. I love these types of games. UTSA riding a seven-game winning streak. Tulane on a nine-game winning streak. Someone has to lose. This is, this, we, we got overtime now. There's no more ties in college football. Someone has to lose this game. Someone's going to keep that winning streak going right into the AAC championship game. I'm pretty close to Vegas on this one. My numbers have Tulane minus four. It's a 62% win expectancy. Despite the nine-game winning streak and my model favoring Tulane, as I just said, it, it has to be said. The Green Wave's performances are trending in the wrong direction. Their yeah. power rating has fallen a full three points in the past five weeks. You said it. How do they? How are they still alive? How are you not dead yet? They keep winning these one-score games. It's the offense for me that's been concerning in particular. They've fallen to a season-worst number 56. But even with that regression, Tulane has the advantage on both sides of the ball in this game, and they are at home. For UTSA, I mean, since Frank Harris has gotten healthy earlier this year, they played exactly like the team my preseason realistic expectations projected coming into the year. I agree with you, Brett, the Jeff, the Jeff Trailer situation. That is some noise. And I saw, you know, the – listen, what do, what do you want him to say? Not you, but, like, what do we want him to say? Like, I, I think he, he answered it honestly and directly and concisely. That's exactly what you would want from any human being in that situation. But based on his answer, I agree with you. Like, yes, he interviewed with Texas A&M. Yes, he's still focused on this because this is his job and, this, and he's a professional. But that is something that can't be ignored, I don't think, in my opinion. Yes, they dealt with it last year. Um, so it's not like a huge concern, something they've never done. But I do think the pursuits this time around, because of who you're talking about and who's involved, they're going to be slightly more aggressive, uh, slightly louder, if you will, in that noise category. Will it affect them this week? I don't know because there's so much on the line. It's hard to think it won't, but can they overcome it? Should be a really good game. Bottom line, I've got Tulane minus four. It's a 38% chance that UTSA improves to 2-0 and all time against the Greenway. Brett, the other game, a 10-7 to victory back in 2013. Question for you. Is there any more natural fit with this round of conference realignment than UTSA and the American? If you told me they've been in the American this whole time, I'd be inclined to believe you. So here, so so agreed with you, and I'll try to keep it brief because I know I've taken us way too long other times. They, they're new to FBS still in the last like yeah. ten years, right? Yeah. So with that context, the American, you're like, oh, that's that's kind of a step up. They weren't great like in Conference USA for the duration of their first ten years. Now they got really good here the last couple of years, and we've seen that the meet meet. I mean, I'm all about it. Like I remember, was it last year, two years ago? I can't remember. I was like, rank UCSA, gosh dang it, in, yeah. in the most deserving ranking. So. I, yes, from a snapshot in time right now, makes perfect sense. If you widen that scope even just a little bit, you're like, mm, is that a bit of a stretch? But honestly, man, with the way that the American stacks up now among the other group of fives, it's less of a stretch in that regard. So short answer, yes. I love this fit. I think it's great. Um, and these two uh, sh will, for the time being, uh, are projected to be conference foes for uh, for the foreseeable future. And, and if there was any sort of extra motivation for Tulane here. Uh, you said that the college football playoff ra rankings just got released. A fresh copy. Tulane's in the driver's seat for that New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, they are.
a, a repeat appearance in either the the Fiesta Bowl or a repeat in the Cotton Bowl or, or the Fiesta Bowl. So Liberty getting yeah. ranked. Love I was going to say Liber- Liber- Liberty's hot on their tail though. So if you slip it, right now. If you are Tulane and you see that Liberty now has a number next to them, now all of a sudden it's not just we have to take care of business. Now it's about style points. So if you are considering taking points with Tulane, number one, get the best number, wait till you're three because that is a big freaking deal. But I'd probably lean Tulane just because, again, they're at the point where we need to make a case for the committee. Otherwise, if Liberty goes out there and, and boat races New Mexico State, who now has a win over Auburn, they can make a case to jump them if Tulane only beats UTSA by two points. If Liberty goes out there and wins by 30. So it's style points, guys. Uh, and Tulane's in the driver's seat. But again, uh, Liberty's large in the rearview mirror. We've got another fascinating... All these matchups are fascinating. But this one's a really good one. Out in the western uh, United States here. We have Air Force on the road at Boise State. This may be an interesting line to some if you uh, are checking back in with the Mountain West. But Boise State is favored by six and a half points, and this game carries an over/under forty-six and a half points. This uh, game kicks off Friday at four p.m. Eastern on FS1, and boy, is there a lot of stake uh, for the Mountain West Championship game here. There's a world in which these two game, uh, two teams, I believe, can play again, but it requires UNLV losing and computer rankings and um, a lot of hand waving. That, quite honestly, I don't understand, and I don't know that the Mountain West Conference fully understands it. Uh, but either way, it. Another almost de facto playoff game here. See my earlier comment about uh, tiebreaker policies. Right. <laughs> so Boise ended up benching quarterback Taylor Green. That was a quarterback I talked about at, at nauseam in the, in the preseason. I was so excited to see him play. He just really hasn't quite been the magic that he was at the end of last season. Instead, they were starting Maddox Madsen, but Madsen's now done for the season with a leg injury. So it's the Taylor Green show again. They've also been playing under an interim coach after they dismissed Andy Avalos. If you're looking at it, six and five, and Boise State just just doesn't doesn't cut it. Uh, they've proven to be a, a much better program than that. Now on the other side, though, this is why I'm saying it may be surprising if you have checked out for the past couple of weeks with Mountain West. Air Force has just tumbled off off a cliff. Uh, the the plane has landed. They they are not playing the football that they were earlier. Their starting quarterback Zach Larrier, he has not played the last two games. He's not expected to play in this one because they just took him off the depth chart. They're also without their leading rusher, Emmanuel Michelle or, or Michael. I apologize on, on the spelling. There are two ways to go there or pronunciation. Um, but Boise last week did get that interim coach bump. If you look at the final score, but then you dig into it and realize, oh my God, they scored 31 of those 45 points in the second quarter alone. They got a short field. They got some explosive plays. George Halani was, was awesome in that game. But again, it was just one quarter that they really put all that up. Now, my biggest concern for the Broncos in that game is that they allowed almost 10 second-level yards per opportunity to Utah State. Um, Decent offense, explosive at times, but you don't like to see that high of a number in what they call the highlight yards or the the, the yards created by the running back. Even with Air Force downturn, I don't think that the Broncos can necessarily count on a on a buck eighty from George Halani. This, but welcome back, by the way. He's missed like most of the season. Comes back on on fresh legs and, and runs for one hundred and eighty yards. I do like their backfield quite a bit, though. But this isn't the game to try to flex your muscles. Like we're looking at Air Force. Uh, they're they're nineteenth in, in top twenty in, in rushing success rate allowed on the season. The total's pretty low, but I think I still lean under the forty six and a half points. And that's because Boise State is thirty seventh in rushing success rate allowed. And I've talked a few times about the difference between success rate and EPA. EPA is kind of more 
uh, big chunk explosive plays where success rates more. How often are you getting those four yards? Well, what's Air Force's entire offense based around? Four-yard rushes, right? And, and Boise State counters that really well. So I, I can't take the points with uh, with Air Force either, especially on, on this side of seven. And Boise State's a much better home team than a road team. Yeah, my numbers have Boise State minus five. Brett, 64% win expectancy. What a weird season for Boise State. You kind of touched on it. The Broncos opened the season number 49 in my power ratings. They fell as low to num- as number 70 midseason. Now they're right back to nearly where they started, currently sitting at number 51. The offense has been a pleasant surprise, currently number 27. Uh, but the defense has had some serious issues. They fell to as low as number 95 a month ago. They're back up now. They're in the mid-70s, still the, the lesser of the two units here. But after all that movement, both sides of the ball, preseason, midseason, current, my numbers give Boise State a 64% chance to make the conference championship game. I mean, if they win this one, I don't know if it's a win and in, but I think pretty sure based on like computer strength if they win this one they are in the Mountain West Conference Championship game and it hasn't just been a weird season for Boise State what the heck happened to Air Force at 8-0 this team was flying yes pun intended I heard you say the plane the plane has landed (laughs) or grounded I heard that this team was flying now they're not shocking performance against Army I can almost excuse that one it's an academy game those can get weird in and of themselves but a 14 point loss at Hawaii Team, I have power rated number one twenty-five. Then last week, starting, they, they didn't have their starting quarterback for that I, one, so I, I, I can at least kind of chalk. But but it's, it's but, a triple option, like Brett, you got guys that can run it. Number one twenty-five, like yeah, dude, not great. come on for a team for a team that a week prior was undefeated on the year and really yeah. really looking good. Like I don't know, man. I I, I get okay, I get it, but. No, I, I'm not. I'm not excusing that one like I'm excusing Army because um, those games are just those are next level weirdness, uh, which we love. Um, then hard fought loss last week to an all of a sudden surging UNLV team who find themselves in the driver's seat now of this conference championship game with a greater than 99 percent chance to make that champ game. The Falcons have slipped five and a half points in my power ratings the last five weeks. This defense that was once ranked in the top 10 earlier this year, they're now number 30, so still really good, but not nearly the elite unit that it looked like early in the season. And the offense has stumbled too. They've fallen from the mid-30s to now the mid-60s. Bottom line, Brett, my numbers have Boise State minus five. It's a 36% chance that Air Force makes it two wins in a row on the blue turf. Not sure how many teams can say they w- they've won two in a row uh, at Boise State in the last... 15 years or so so could be could be a chance for them to get a a statement win here and keep themselves in contention for that spot in the champ game i know we're not talking about unlv but i i I want to track for just a second kelly they they won two games in 2020 which which they only played six total 2020 and 2021 combined Uh, two and now they are favored to be 10 and two this season Another first thing about, year under a new a, head coach. A, a huge, huge turnaround. Another thing, they're my number two overachiever, by the way, right now. Another thing about UNLV, I don't think, I mean, they're number 37 of my most deserving. I don't think even with a win against San Jose State, they'd crack the committee's top 25. But we know how much the committee loves talking about ranked wins. Don't forget, Michigan beat UNLV back in week two. Yeah. Is UNLV going to yep. be a, quote, ranked win for Michigan? Like, I, I, I hey, I, I'm not putting a ton of stock in that. Uh, I know the committee does, though. I don't think UNLV, UNLV can get there now. If they win at, against San Jose State and the Mountain West Championship game, and now they're 11 and two. 
they might in the final rankings end up being ranked, but by that point, where's Michigan? How did the game go? All that stuff. But right. just another just another side note: UNLV's only two losses at Michigan, at Fresno State. So I, uh, what? Are, what I are you? had that open. I had that open to bring it up, and they have a win. I know it's Vanderbilt, but they have an SEC win on their on their roster. Like this is an objectively good football team, guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good year. Not bad. All right, the final one that we have here on our Thursday-Friday split. We started with the banger. We're going to end with the banger. We're Oregon State on the road at Oregon. The Ducks are 13.5-point home favorites, and this game carries an over-under of 62.5 points. Kicks off Friday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Thank you that we are not getting this at, like, 11 p.m. I want to stay up and watch the whole thing. If it starts at 11.30, I ain't watching the whole thing. Or I'm going to try to, but I'm probably going to fall asleep. Um... The Civil War, I know they don't call it that. They play for the Platypus, Platypus Trophy, but it is still the Civil War to me. Uh, this is also awesome for Oregon because it's a win and in for the Pac-12 championship game. I, I'm pretty sure they're like, if uh, whatever your numbers say about it, I'm, I'm interested. I think even if they lose, they're, they're still pretty strong uh, candidates getting. But if Oregon State wins and Arizona wins, Kelly, Arizona's in the Pac-12 championship game. Yep, yep. Crazy. How about it. If Crazy. Oregon State wins and Arizona loses, then the Ducks are still in. By the way, Arizona plays Arizona State in the Territorial Cup, which they'll get their best effort. But Arizona, I, I watched Arizona State play Oregon in person this past weekend. Uh, Arizona State is uh, not putting their best effort on the football field right now. I think they are fully ready for the season to be over, especially after giving up six first-half touchdowns to Bo Nix. Um, Last year's game, though, heavy on the head of Oregon. They were up 34-17 in the fourth quarter in an absolute epic collapse. Like, I remember being at a bar watching this game. I looked down to eat my food in front of me. I looked back up, and I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? Like, it happened in an instant, and Oregon State ended up taking that game at home. And the, in the, the, the teams were wearing neon colors, but it was super dense fog. It was just a very funny visual, weird game. Um, but what is Oregon State's route to victory here? Yeah, I'm talking about a victory. Control the football and minimize Bo Nix's drives. Again, six first-half touchdowns last week, and uh, I'll get to a stat here in a second, but when Oregon has the football, you om- no matter how good your defense is, you almost have to assume that they're going to come away with some points. So minimize their number of possessions. But I'm worried about if the Beavers fall behind, can they keep up with that offense that will continue to score Kind of no matter what you do. I'm not sure. I know they did last year, but this is, you know, different year, diff- different circumstances on the road. Uh, their run game is their strong suit. And if you're like, hey, I have to go to my run game to keep up, ah, I'm a little worried there. Uh, DJU this season, he's better, but he's holding on to the football just too long. The plain and simple. Oregon is one of the better pass rushers in the country. They have nearly an 8% sack rate. Uh, here's my favorite stat of the game. Oregon State is picking up 58.6 of available yards, which is 12th nationally. Pretty good. 58.6. Remember that number. Oregon is picking up 72.6% of available yards. It's not fair. 16% more. Yeah, not bad. That's what I mean about this offense is just when you game plan against Oregon, they are going to score. It's kind of like in basketball. When, when you go up against a Steph Curry or a LeBron James or Kevin Durant, Guys, they're going to get theirs, but you have to mitigate the damage and take away things that, you know, don't let Bo Nix be be the one to beat you, right? Um, Give yourself a chance. Oregon's offense is what I call the definition of flash fry. Therefore, 
my favorite bet in this game is actually the Ducks minus seven and a half in the first half. Mm-hmm. I like that one a lot because they can come out and get you like lightning before you even realize what happened. They're built, or I'm sorry, they built that early last year as well, and they've taken their foot off the gas in games when they go up big. But I do like them to jump out to an early lead at home. It's the final installment of this game as a conference matchup. I, I just like Oregon to, to make a statement in Autzen Stadium. I also like to see Oregon's offense come out and take advantage of an Oregon State defense that's pretty good at limiting explosives. They're 31st in pass EPA, but they do allow chunk yardage, and Bo Nix is absolutely the kind of player like, you're going to give me eight yards, I'm taking eight yards. You're going to give me five yards, I'm going to take the five yards. Now you're stepping up, oh, here's Troy Franklin for 55 yards on you. You saw it against Arizona State, he was able to do that. Um, they, uh, Oregon State is 51st in passing success rate and 70th in rushing success rate. The biggest casualty of conference realignment, Brett, even more so than geographic conferences, those are out the window, is rivalry games. As far as I know, this is the final scheduled edition of the Civil War. Yes, I still call it the Civil War as well. I think most college football fans do. Uh, It truly is a tragedy if we don't get this game uh, renewed and continued as we've gotten the Apple Cup. Very exciting news earlier this week about the Apple Cup uh, continuing on despite the fact that Washington is going to the Big Ten, leaving Washington State behind. I love this game. I'm going to savor it this year more than ever, given the uncertainty of its future. The model has Oregon minus 13, so it's an 82% win expectancy. Starting next year, Brett, I'm going to include a form section on my team dashboards. Basically, it shows how much has a team's power rating changed in the past week, the past two weeks, the past month, since the preseason. Maybe those are the, the, the thresholds. Why am I sharing that? One, I'm excited about it. Uh, but two, more importantly, Oregon would grade out very well in the form section if I had it this year. You could argue no team has played better in the past month than the Ducks, other than maybe Georgia, who's really hitting their stride here uh, as of late. Oregon's number four in my power ratings. They have the number one offense for the fourth straight week. Uh, Now have a season-best number 15 defense. This team's firing. They're firing on all cylinders. They're peaking at the right time. Washington fans don't want to hear it, but my numbers do like Oregon by about six and a half and a potential rematch in a Pac-12 championship game, which, as you mentioned, if the Ducks win this game or if Arizona State knocks off Arizona, uh, Oregon will be in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, So they're a scary team. They're a dangerous team. Their resume right now doesn't necessarily have the same weight as the other contenders, at least in my most deserving. But from a who's playing the best, Oregon is right there in that conversation. For Oregon State, the Beavers' power rating, it actually improved uh, slightly following last week's close loss at home to Washington. At number 13, I actually give Oregon State's offense the slightest of edges against the Oregon defense, but that number one ranked Ducks offense at home, nor less, no less in Autzen, man. Like you said, it's a tough place to play. Uh, it's likely too much for the Beaver defense that I have ranked number 27. This game, A huge rivalry that has no future meetings on the books with a two TD spread. It it screams classic college football chaos. Like, look no farther than Bedlam just a few weeks ago. It checked all these boxes, too. So I won't be surprised if Oregon State finds a way to keep this game close late into the fourth quarter. Maybe they even pull off the upset. But my model isn't picking that. Like, if my model is picking it, I'd really question the model. So bottom line, I've got Oregon (laughs) – Minus 13, it's an 18% chance that Oregon State wins back-to-back games in this rivalry for the first time since 2006-2007. I remember when Oregon beat Portland State 81-7 to 
I do. Week. I do. Portland State, I have 54th in FCS. So, like, they're not an elite FCS team, but um, – and we kind of waved it off. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, they, they beat up on the FCS team. Uh, no, Oregon was telling you exactly what their offense was this year in that game and what they're capable of. Um, and to, to note, so I, I have not been – I've not had the pleasure of, of uh, being uh, – going to a game at Autzen Stadium. I've been to Autzen Stadium, but not for a game. Um, but when I was in Tempe this past weekend – Oregon fans, I would say, if I had to guess, guesstimating, outnumbered Arizona State fans. If not, it was 50-50, and boy, they were a lot louder. It cannot be understated, and I know Oregon State's played at Oregon you know, every other year. It cannot be understated how much of an advantage playing in Autzen Stadium is. This place is one of the loudest venues in all of college football, and I think that's what gives me that extra boost. I'd be a little bit more pessimistic if this game was on the road in Corvallis, but it's not. It's an Austin Stadium. I, I, I just, I really like that first half bet on on Oregon minus seven and a half. Uh, would love it at seven, but it's not going to move that way. So, so Oregon minus seven and a half in the first half is my play here. But that's a wrap, Kelly. We only have a a Saturday slate of rivalry games to go over, which I'm very excited about. Uh, carve out some time around your Thanksgiving. Uh, holiday here to listen to our uh, our show on that because uh, we're probably gonna run a little bit long on there. There's, I, I felt bad leaving some of these games out, but either way, that's just a teaser for our, for our Saturday show. But hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over four thousand sports betting fans, get live updates in our college football channel, and join a sharp and very active community for the remainder of the year. We are going to be talking about bowl games or uh, bowl seasons. Confidence pools are coming up. That's one of my absolute favorite times of year. My pride and joy every year is, is the Bull Confidence Pool Cheat Sheet. We'll be discussing it all over that Discord. And don't forget to subscribe to Lions YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all postseason long. And subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice and drop us a good review if you really like the show. You've been really great about it so far. Drop in comments down below about what side you lean in these games. Agree, disagree, a different angle we didn't see. Please let us know you've been great about that so far. Kelly, before I close up shop today, let everybody listening know where they can find your work, please. Yes, sir. You can find me over uh, at thelines.com, also on X at KFord Ratings, the website, kfordratings.com. Guys, it's the best time of year. Rivalry Week is here. If you've listened to this whole episode, appreciate you. If you've listened all year long, appreciate you. Uh, that means you love college football as much as Brett and I do. And uh, I'm very happy for you and your team here this week. As long as you're not playing my team, uh, may your team have success <laughs> against your rival. I, I, just, I just love this week. I really do. I'm with you. Thank you so much, as always, for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford. We'll see you next time. <laughs>